You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Today, we're going to continue in our journey through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're excited. We're in the third division of Mark, and every time we crack God's Word open, let's just acknowledge together that it is God's truth for us. Amen? And when we open up God's Word and we read it, it's always a timely message. God will speak to us, and we speak through expository preaching, which basically means we take a book of the Bible or a section of Scripture, we kind of go line by line, and there's power in that, and there's a strength in that, and it not only teaches you how to study God's Word a little deeper, um, but it's a systematic approach, so we're not missing things, and it is great. And today, we're heading into a story, we're kind of rolling into a story that is arguably the most familiar miracle out of all the miracles that Jesus did in his ministry. And perhaps it's the most important miracle of all times. You say, man, that's a big claim. How would you say that? And, well, it's this story, this miracle, is listed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So all four Gospels cover this. And the idea of the miracle is actually repeated in a second, uh, second wave uh, where we see it a second time in the book of Mark and in the book of Matthew. Very similar. And the story I'm talking about is the story where Jesus feeds the multitudes. He feeds the 5,000 in one story, and in a separate occasion, he feeds 4,000 people in one foul swoop, so to speak. And let's just remember, for those of you that have been with us and were with us through the building process, we used this story as a part of our building progress. That We said, there was a mantra, what is in our hands? And if what God had given us in our hands, if we would offer that to God, He would multiply that, and He is doing that. And for those of you that are sitting here and you're experiencing this, this is a miracle of what God did by what was in our hands. But uh, these stories are so familiar, it's almost like the Easter story, right? Jesus rose from the grave. It's like, man, how do we get a fresh perspective, or how do we get a, a good look on what uh, on what's happening in this? And it is amazing. God's Word is so great. This week, uh, there was a, an angle that I'd never seen before that I want to bring to us. God revealed something that I'd never seen that's powerful, and we're going to do that. And just it, when I was thinking about that and just excited about a, kind of a new perspective on this familiar story, it reminded me that we need to read God's Word. We need to read it till the pages fall out. And it reminded me that when I was growing up, my grandma used to pay my sisters and me and my other uh, um, cousins to read and memorize Scripture. And it was an important thing. My grandma, she would say, hey, if you memorize Psalm 1, uh, come back and I'll give you $5. And we'd do it. And it was like, hey, this is great. Maybe give you some of your grandmas an idea uh, of something to do. But I was thinking, this story is 
they has six different ideas or six different areas in Scripture in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and again in Matthew and in Mark. And I was thinking, for those that are 16, or no, it's not 16, 18 and under, if you read all six accounts from after service today until before service next week, can't do it in service. Someone tried that first service. They're like, hey, we read it the rest of the way. And I'm like, no. But uh, uh, anyway, what I will do is I will give you 10 of my dollars, my personal dollars. This is my own money, my blow money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend it on your family. So, so let's see. There's, there's some families here. So we got a family with four kids here, all right? And so, so Kimmy, just, just listen. If each of your kids read all six accounts, or if you read it together, uh, you know, with your younger ones that can't read or, or as much or whatever, if you do that, that'll be $10 for each of your kids. You come back next week, and I will hand that over to you as an as a example, all right? And so I know what I'm doing. And, uh, and so, so then I thought for the adults here, the big kids in the room, I thought, hey, how could this work? What, what could work? And so, you know, how many agree that if you read all six accounts, that it's going to be a blessing to you if you're 18 and older? Come on. Are you with me? It's God's Word. And so I thought, man, this would be great if you read all six accounts in Scripture next week when you come through those doors. I thought it would be a great idea for you to give me $10. All right. All right. No, just kidding. No, you're kidding. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But I will. Every kid, 17, 18, I keep on changing the 18 and under, 18 and under, you come and see me and we'll have that for you. All right, let's get into God's Word. We're in the book of Mark, and we're, we've made it to chapter 6, about a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. He has sent out the 12 two by two, and so we look at Scripture, and the, the potential has multiplied by six, and they are sent out with authority, with, their, with a, the belief that God is going to provide for them, that there's going to be confidence. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And their message was repent. And I was thinking, man, that is a bold message in 2020. If we say repent, uh, people are like, no, right? And, and, and the same would have happened then. It was the same bold message, repent. But then they were casting out demons. They're healing the sick. And now his disciples are coming back to him. They're coming back. It's been a busy season. In fact, so busy that they hadn't had time to even eat. And now the group of 12 with Jesus are sitting around and they are talking about what's happening. They're sharing the good news. It reminds me of coming back from a mission trip, right? And you just can't stop talking about the goodness of God. And I could just imagine the 12 saying, man, can you imagine what, or do you remember what we cast out this demon, or this person repented, or this person was healed, they were lame, and now they're walking, they're blind, and now they're seen. And how many have ever been on a mission trip or a camp experience, and you come back, and you are whipped you are exhausted, and that's exactly where Jesus and his disciples find themselves. And Jesus says, hey, let, we need some rest. Let's go to a desolate place, the scripture says. And so they slipped away in a boat, and I love that. But I realize as I'm reading scripture that the Twitter feed was strong. 
social media was blowing up and the, someone had put, must have put a GPS tracker in that boat because when Jesus got to the other side of the lake, the people knew where Jesus was going and they ran around the lake and they were there waiting for Jesus. And I'm thinking, man, Jesus, they were hungry for the Lord. They were hungry for everything Jesus had. And then they, they, you get to shore and Jesus is looking at his disciples and they're looking for a place to rest, but they've been interrupted. And that's a lot of what ministry is, right? No time to rest. And in the next uh, little bit, what we see, and actually all six accounts, when you read all six accounts this week, you're going to see that it'll say Jesus had compassion on the crowd. He loved the people. He slowed down for the people. He cared for people, even when he was exhausted. And I was thinking, for those of us that are parents and have raised kids or are raising kids, how many times you come home and you're exhausted, all you want to do is take a nap, but one of your kids is struggling, having a hard day, uh, feeling down and out. And what does a good parent do? They pull up a chair next to their child. Or they lay on their bed, or in my case, I have to lay on the floor because my daughter won't lay, let me lay on her bed. And, um, and if you're interested to know about that story, ask her. I don't know why, but, uh, but anyway, but she's here at Second Service. And what does a good parent do? They lay there and they will talk or they will listen first. They'll give some counsel. They'll maybe teach a little. And more importantly, a good parent will pray for their kids, won't they? And that's exactly what I see Jesus doing. He's like, oh man, I'm looking for some rest, looking for, to lay down my head, to get away with the disciples. But he sees the people. He loves the people like we would love our kids. The story goes on. We see that Jesus is teaching now. He's healing again. He's ministering. And all of a sudden, it's 6 o'clock and it's time to eat. And someone's stomach starts to gurgle, and, and they're like, hey, was that you, Fred? Or you know, what was that? And, and, uh, and stomachs are growling. And I don't know if you're familiar with the term hangry. It's hungry and angry. But the people in the story are getting hangry, and they're saying, it's time to eat. And that's where we come to one of the two phrases I want to really hone in on today. In Mark chapter 6, verse 37, look at it with me. I've got it highlighted in my scripture. It says, you give them something to eat. You're saying, well, who's talking here? Well, it's Jesus talking, talking to the disciples. In fact, three out of the four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all have this word for word, you give them something to eat. And we find out when we read all the accounts that Jesus actually did this early on in the day. It was Jesus' plan from the beginning to provide so the disciples go out. They are making their way. They're counting the cost, wondering, man, how are we going to do this? They calculate that it's about 200 days of work, of wages. That's Depending on how you calculate that, it's a dollar to three dollars per person in today's, uh, in today's dollars. About a half year's wage. And the disciples are saying, man... This doesn't look like it's going to be a reality. This is not possible. And they were not expecting a miracle. They had never seen anything like what they were about to see. And they're, they're saying, look, we're not getting any good responses at all. And they end up coming back to Jesus, reporting to Jesus. And I can't imagine that their head is down. They're kind of like, well, I don't know. But they come back and say, we've all we found are five loaves 
and two fish. In the story of the 4,000 that were fed, it was seven loaves and a few fish. And Jesus says, hey, I'll take it. He blesses it, and then it is distributed, it's multiplied, and that's where we come to the second phrase that we'll see uh, today and focus on in Mark 6, 42. I've got it highlighted again. You should do the same, and it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. And when you understand what that means, and uh, that there were actually even 12 basketfuls uh, full uh, leftovers in the one story, seven in the other, uh, God provided a miracle right before the people's eyes. He provided for them. Just a quick side note for those that really love Scripture and really diving in. It was interesting to me that the, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it was primarily a Jewish group. And then uh, in the 4,000, it was a group of Gentiles uh, in closer to the Decapolis. And, uh, and so it's interesting to me. I just, I love that the detail, like saying, you know what? Jesus wants to bless everyone. He wants the word to go to everyone, and it's really important. But for our purposes today, I want to hone in on those two phrases and as we look at these passages. The first was, you give them something to eat. And the second one is, and they all ate and were satisfied. So let's look at the first one. You give them something to eat. As we hone in on this, we, we know that there were 5,000 and then 4,000, but some of you know that that did not include the women and the children. And all the women and all the children here say, what? <laughs> right? Like you're not counted, right? Well, if you look at Matthew's account, Matthew 14, it does say it was 5,000 plus women and children. So Matthew gets an attaboy for that. So conservatively, we're talking about 10,000 people. Some commentators will even stretch it to 20,000 people, not an exaggeration. And the disciples go out looking for food. And who was it that gave this is a thing that I'd never seen before. In Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, in those three accounts, we have no idea who gave, who stepped up with the five loaves and two fish. It was John's account, John 6, verse 9, that says, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And then they say, But how far will this go among so many? What it identifies is a boy's lunch. A boy that was, we don't know who it was. It, the big question is, who is this kid? How old was he? Where is his family? Did he get permission to give it up? Or, or what was happening here? And the truth is, we don't know. But you can infer or assume that this boy was not wealthy. He was not well known. There was nothing particularly outstanding about this young man other than the fact that out of 5,000 men, none of them gave. Out of the families that were represented, and you know the families came with a cooler. Nobody presented a gift or said, hey, here you go. And I was thinking even the moms, the moms that were there, how many know moms are always prepared, right? It's like right now if I said, hey, we need a meal, all the moms pull out the purse and like, hey, here you go. You know, you got something stuck, stuck away that you could offer, right? 
And there were single men, single women certainly there that may have packed their own lunch, but only one out of 20,000 people gave. And get this, this is the, the thing that really caught my attention. A boy who was not even counted was the one who gave. Wow. A boy who was not even counted was the one that stepped up. And also in the story, in John's uh, view, it wasn't just, uh, just the boy. It was one of the lesser disciples, not Peter, James, and John, that went out and trying to find people. It was Andrew. And it, just look at this with me. John chapter 6, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people? He asked them only, only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wage to buy enough bread for each of them to have a bite. And then it says in verse 8, Another one of the disciples, Andrew, let's pause there. People are saying, Who is Andrew? Oh, yeah. Simon Peter's brother. Oh, yeah, I remember Andrew, right? It was lesser of one of the disciples. Here is the boy, the five small barley loaves, two fish. So Andrew speaks up, not a prominent disciple. It's not Peter, James, and John who you might have expected. And just put this into perspective with me. So we have an off disciple, Andrew, and a boy who has no name and wasn't even counted. And they're the ones that come together to provide this incredible story. And that leads me to our first takeaway is that it's this, that God can use anything. He can use anyone, any time He wants. Say it after me. God can use anything, anything. Sorry, I didn't really prepare you. Say anything, anyone, anytime. But let's do it nice and loud. And there is a microphone here. For those that are listening online, you will hear the multitude here. Come on, help me out. So God can use anything, anyone, anytime. And you look at it and you say, well, what seemed insignificant in the story is the one that provided. What seemed to be the least of these, this, what seems to have been overlooked. And in this story, you've got to know that that's what God uses. And He still uses those things. He could have done it all by Himself, but He chose to use people. And God still does the same. And so what I'd like us to do is to look at that first phrase from the Scripture. You give them something to eat. Let's just go ahead. Yeah, you give them. And instead of saying you, just put your name. For me, I would say Ben. This is Jesus talking to me. Ben, you give them something to eat. And what this is talking about is not physical food. I'm talking about your time, your talent, your treasure, the things that are important. And what would that look like? You give them something to eat. What would that look like for you or for your family? And some of you are just backpedaling, saying, well, you know, I, you know, my family or my situation, I'm just insignificant. Some of the kids here, you might be saying, ah, I'm just young. You know, I'm too young to be used by God. Or maybe some of you are the older, you know, and I'm not, I don't know who's the oldest here, but, you know, I'm too old. Or you say, well, I'm too poor. I don't have enough resources. God could never use me. Or maybe you'd put yourself in the category, the least of these. 
You're not from the right family. Maybe you say, well, if I was you know, from your, pa- your family pastor, then maybe God would use me. And that's crazy. Or maybe you say, well, I'm not the right color. And, and, and I'm saying that's crazy. We've had a lot of racial tension in our, in our community and in our society these days. And you're saying, well, I'm the least of these. No, you're not. Or maybe you say, well, I'm one of the ones that are overlooked, right? I'm the one that's last picked. That I'm not very strong or not very good looking. Or maybe you say I'm the opposite. Maybe I'm too good looking and they won't pick me, right? I don't know, but uh, that's for Brett. And, uh, but anyway, but you're not very outgoing or maybe you're not so bold or you're too quiet, right? And it seems like what you have to offer is insignificant. And I don't know, this is a story to me about giving. This is a story about our resources. And to me, where my mind went, and especially in a family service like this, my mind went to tithing, giving the first 10% back to Jesus. And I believe that parents absolutely should teach their kids to be tithers. That when your kid makes $10, one of those dollars belongs to Jesus, belongs to, comes back to the church. And parents, I just want to plead with you, teach your kids this discipline. It will bless your kids. It will safeguard your family. And I would say for the kids that are here, if, you, if this is a new idea, if, you don't, if you've never heard the word tithe in your house, ask your parents. And now, don't, I don't want to see any hands of the kids that haven't heard about that, but that might be embarrassing. But listen, li- kids, parents, you should have a conversation about what it means to give back to the Lord. And if you start at a young age and it's one out of $10 or $10 out of 100 or 100 out of 1,000, when you start making $10,000 a week and you start giving $1,000 a week to the Lord, it'll be easy at that point. And then my mind also went this week, and you know, uh, Rachel mentioned it, I, I'm, we're a missions church. We believe that missions has been and always will be the key to our future. When it comes to missions giving, my wife was here first service. We, we give above and beyond our tithe by percentages. And so whatever our increase is, there's a percent of that. And our, in, our percentage changes each week. And, and I can give you a story, and we won't take the time because, uh, you know, we've got to watch the clock. But um, time and time again, you give, even if it seems like a small percentage, God can use that. If God can use five loaves and two fish, He can use my one dollar. Or my ten dollars, or my hundred, or my thousand, or ten thousand dollars. God, He can use anything. He can also use anyone. There are no, there's no one here, in the sound of my voice or online, that would be in the category of the least of these. You may question, well, why would God use you? Well, God loves you. He's compassionate for you. And the most fun you'll ever have in your life is giving. Giving of your time, giving of your talent, and giving of your treasure, your resources, your money. I promise you. And God, I just think He sets us up to enjoy life, to have fun. And He does that for our benefit. And to, so we can help out a neighbor. So we can be passionate about clean water. Amen? To be, so we can freely give of these things. 
And so I wrote it in my note. I'm not sure this is a word from the Lord. It's a word from your pastor, though. I put in here, and this is a quote, let's stop thinking about ourselves and let's love people well. Amen? Amen. And that leads to the second point. Whatever, God, whatever you give to God, He's going to multiply. We read it in Scripture, Mark 6, 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. That leads me to the second major point. The big takeaway is that God is a God of abundance. God is full of abundance. It's never scarcity when we talk about God. It says in Scripture, they all ate and inferred, they all were satisfied. And you know what It just strikes me is that that includes the young boy that gave everything. He gave it all and he still ate and he still was satisfied. God was not intimidated even for a second by the problem at hand. All these people and at the end of the story, we see God, He doesn't waste anything. We love that. He provided 12 basketfuls. And then in the other story, 4,007 basketfuls. It's interesting when you study that. The 12 baskets in the first story of the feeding of the 5,000, that was small baskets, probably one for each of the disciples so they could go back out and minister. God was providing for them. The, the, when there was the 4,000, it was seven basketfuls, but that was more like a laundry basket, like a big basket full of bread. The point is out of the bare minimum, God created more than enough. And that's what God does. This story is a living demonstration of God's power in the cooperation of the divine and human, the natural and the supernatural coming together, and it equals abundance every single time abundance. And I understand. We mentioned it earlier in worship. Rachel mentioned it briefly. This has been a crazy season. 2020 is not exempt to God being a God of abundance. Amen? We serve a God. And you say, well, what is God doing in the season? For many that are here and those that are listening online, you've experienced loss, maybe in greater ways than you ever have in your life. There's been pain. And, and what happens when we lose stuff, we lose a job, or we lose, uh, we get a cut in pay, or, or we have bills that are piling up. What happens is we get a scarcity mentality, if we're not careful, and we start to hold on to stuff instead of freely giving. And we ask the question, whether you'd say it out loud or not, you ask the question, is God really a God of abundance? And it really looks at the difference between abundance and scarcity. And I'm just loving the rain right now because no one wants to leave anyway, right? So I'm just going to keep on preaching. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> Lord, let it fall. I love it. Abundance. And man, Lord knows we needed the rain. Amen? I love it. So there's this difference, abundance and scarcity. And what scarcity means, for those that you are like, what does that mean? It's if we give, we won't have enough. That's a scarcity mentality. And that is human thinking. That is not congruent with God's Word. It says in the Scripture, they all ate and all were satisfied. One in 20,000 gave, and they all were provided for. 
This is a story where we see God's goodness, we see His greatness, and again, out of the bare minimum, God creates more than enough. You might be doubting, you're saying, well, that sounds like, uh, you know, awful good, sounds a little maybe faith-based or, uh, you know, a little out there, Pastor. And you're maybe even wondering, man, does God even care about me? Or you might even be saying even worse, man, I don't feel like I even deserve anything from God. Look at my track record. Look what I've done, things I've said, places I've been. And let me just remind you in this story what we're dealing with. One boy gave, 20,000 people were provided for. Out of that 20,000 included... Jesus, I'm sure, and the 12 disciples, the 12 disciples. Out of that 12 disciples, there was one who later on actually was described as the devil himself. That was Judas Iscariot, right? And so we know that even in this story, the one who was the devil himself ate and was satisfied. Well, that speaks to me is no matter what you've done, there's none of you that are the devil, okay? Uh, you, well, <laughs> you might think so, but not like that. And, uh, and so the point is, no matter what you've done, you are deserving of the abundance of God at work in your life when you partner with the divine and the human coming together. It's abundance. Church, God can use anything, anyone, anytime. And God is a God of abundance. I want to leave us with one verse now that the rain has stopped. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says this, In your relationships with one another, let me just pause there. Every single one of us have people in our lives that we're in relationship with. Whether that's here at church or in your neighborhood or in your workplace or just in your own family. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset, and I would underline that and circle that. I've got underlined here. Have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. This is the goal. You say, well, what is Jesus? You know, Christ Jesus, what's his mindset? It's the same thing we've been talking about. Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Son, Jesus can use anything. That's his mentality. He can use anyone and he can do it anytime. And Jesus, his mindset is a mindset of abundance. Now we go back to that verse. It says, have the same mindset as Jesus. So you need to have the mindset that God can use anything anyone, anytime, and that God is a God of abundance, and you and I get to partner with Him. And as I've been sharing over these last couple weeks, as we've been continuing through the book of Mark, I've just had this sense that we are setting ourselves up for a supernatural summer, in Jesus' name. And so families, let's take these things to heart. Let, you have opportunities to talk with your kids about these things. 
Kids, ask questions about to this message. Read the six accounts. Come, and I'll, I promise you, I'll be prepared. I probably need to withdraw a little more than I expect. But, but it, God, he's going to bless you for reading his word. And I've been dreaming, and I put it in my notes each week, and I've mentioned it briefly. But what would happen on the lakeshore if each of us we're the boy in this story. What would happen in our community if we really believed that God could use anything? He could use anyone and at, or any time. And if we, if we really believed that God was a God of abundance, I'm telling you, our future as a church, your future individually, this community would absolutely experience what we sang about earlier, revival. And that is my heart, that God would move in this crazy season. And I know I've been preaching longer than I normally do, and uh, it, was, it was my introduction uh, that took longer. Uh, I realized that after first service. But listen, this morning, uh, or this afternoon at this point, and if you're watching, still hanging on, hang on here just for a moment. God, He wants to use you. You are the boy in the story. And he wants you to give. He wants you to give of your time, of your talent, the things that you're good at, and your money. And when you do, he will multiply it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this morning and this afternoon and tonight and this week ahead. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless each person here in the sound of my voice. And Lord, I pray as we begin to, uh, uh, as we prepare to exit here in just a moment, I pray that you would uh, really burn these things into our minds that not only would we be hearers, but Lord, it would become a new mindset or a renewed mindset for those that have heard this before. And God, I pray that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is what I want you to do. I want you to stand right where you are. And what I, we, this will give you a chance to go ahead and put your masks back on as we close. I have one more prayer. And this is a prayer of salvation that I want to encourage you that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that today is your day, that this can be your prayer. And we believe that when you call on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. And so without further ado, this could be your prayer. Agree with me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. And today I confess my sin to you. I believe in you, Jesus, that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross for me, and that you rose from the grave, and you provided a way for me to find forgiveness. Jesus, save me. And Lord, help me to live for you all the days of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, even through your masks, amen and amen. We love you. God bless you. We're going to dismiss from the back to the front. The ushers will dismiss you. And so hang tight. We love you. And uh, we'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.com church.